Scripture reading today comes to us from Romans, chapter 12, and it is the whole chapter. And this is what it says to us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts Differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in, ex- in exhortation, he who gives with, with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as as, as, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For, so, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You go to the auto repair shop for new heater hoses. Going to cost you 75, maybe 80 bucks right? When you pick up your car, they hand you a bill for $278.33. Why? We had to flush the radiator, sir. But I didn't ask you to flush the radiator. Sorry, sir, but this is routine when we change the heater hoses. Okay, but why are you charging me for antifreeze, a radiator hose, a new serpentine belt, and a radiator cap. Sorry, sir, it's routine. You've been needing a new suit for some time, beginning to look a lot like Rumpelstiltskin. And when you see that Snoot and Snoots is having a half-price sale for one day only, you take some vacation time and head for the store. Smiling salesman greets you, and you tell him, Lead me to all those suits that are reduced 50%. And he says, what's your size, sir? 42 short. I'm sorry, sir. We don't have any 42 shorts on sale. However, we have some beautiful 42 shorts for only $350 right over here. But you're... Ed in the paper said you were having a half-price sale on men's suits. That's only in certain styles, sir. Your advertising is misleading. I took vacation time to come down here, and you don't have one suit in my size that is on sale? I'm sorry, sir. Your interview for a new job, and your boss promises you the moon. Unlimited expense account, lots of travel, speedy promotions, you name it. You accept the job with gusto. This is going to be a great opportunity. Then you come on board and you learn. Oh, how you learn. About all the travel, for instance, really won't be very much until you've been with a company for at least five years. In fact, you almost have to get a pass to use the restroom. When you ask about the raise that was promised after 30 days, the boss looks annoyed and irritated as he shuffles his paper and says, I really don't recall seeing that at all. I'll have to take it up with the committee when we meet next month, but I can't promise you anything. The garage that inflated your bill, the suit that wasn't on sale, 
the boss who lied about the great job he was offering you. Each of these situations illustrates in a small way that much of what happens in our daily lives is unacceptable. The big question, however, is what are we going to do about it? Paul says we should not allow ourselves to be overcome by the unacceptable, but that we should overcome it. Do not be overcome by evil, he says, but overcome evil with good. And Jesus told his disciples not to let the devil overcome them, because I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Well, that's nice, Lord. And I'm sure you're right. But this overcoming the acceptable business is a pretty tough thing to do. If a man's wife is an eternal nag, does he hate her nagging but still love her anyway? Sometimes. But he usually ends up hating her and her nagging as he looks for other things to do rather than come home immediately after work. If a woman's husband has a jealousy problem, if he is continually on her case because some other man looked at her and she seemed to enjoy it, will the woman hate the evil of the jealousy but still love her husband? Not usually. Normally she ends up hating him along with his jealousy. Only when we care in Christ do we have the ability to accept the sinner while hating his sin. Only in Jesus can we overcome hatred with love. Only in him can we overcome evil with good. Without him, that which is unacceptable will overcome us instead. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There are many kinds of evil in this world, but perhaps none is more unacceptable than death. A man tells this story. Several years ago, I began, excuse me, I began to notice that I was taking too long to eat my meals. In the early years of my life, I always ate too fast. It finally dawned on me that the reason I was taking so long was because I was unable to swallow properly. In the days that followed, I monitored my eating and swallowing ability and finally decided to see a doctor. It was taking me half an hour or more just to eat a sandwich. At first, both my friend, or family physician and an ear, nose, throat specialist could find nothing wrong. But some x-rays suggested something was pressing into my throat. The doctors wanted a biopsy. They never mentioned the word cancer. They didn't have to. I can still remember seemingly endless additional hours that I lay prone on a cold table while the x-ray machine whirred above me, taking even more pictures. I lay there and thought about my family and reflected on the unacceptable. How much more time do I have left on this planet? I wonder how much I can get done in the next six months. It's not too difficult to rationalize about the unacceptable when it strikes somebody else. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. We murmur. Oh, that's too bad. What a pity. He seemed like such a fine person. But when it's you, when it's your body, a different story entirely. 
How do you overcome that kind of evil? Perhaps with courage, with patience, with faith in God. There really isn't anything you can do when your body goes out on you except to leave matters in God's hands. Back in the early 1970s, a father in South America came face to face with the unacceptable, the loss of his son. It all began on October 12, 1972, when a Fairchild F-227 airplane was chartered by his son's amateur rugby team. The plane set off from Montevideo, Uruguay, for Santiago, Chile. En route, the pilot miscalculated his position over the treacherous Andes Mountains and clipped the side of a mountain. When the accident occurred, the white wing broke off, exposing part of the fuselage and sucking into the icy air. The steward, a member of, another member of the crew, three of the boys from the rugby team still strapped in their seats. When the left wing tore loose, without wings, the plane hurtled toward another peak. But instead of being smashed to pieces against the wall of rock, it landed on its belly in a steep valley, sliding like a toboggan down the sloping deep snow. <clears throat> the plane hit at around 230 miles an hour, but did not disintegrate. However, the force of deceleration caused the seats to break loose from their mountings and move forward, crushing the bodies of those caught between. One of the boys, Carlitos Paez, was saying a prayer when the plane came to a stop. After a moment of stillness and silence, out of the tangled mess came the sounds of life, groans and prayers and cries for help. Out of 45 passengers, 32 survived. But in the days that followed, the number shrank to 27, then 19. And in the end, 16 survived 71 days in the sub-zero temperatures of the Andes. For eight days, the Chileans, Argentinians, and Uruguayans searched for the plane. Then they gave up. Though the governments gave up the search, some of the parents of the boys on the rugby team did not. However, as more time passed, most of them gave up, except for a few who refused to accept the unacceptable. One of the few, Paez Valero, continued in search for his son. Day after day, he flew himself into the Andes to look for the stricken plane. He harassed a variety of government officials as he pressed for a continued search. He trekked to some remote villages and asked if anyone had seen a plane fall from the sky. He listened to many fascinating stories, but none of them relevant. Finally, his reputation preceded him. And when he would enter a village, a small crowd would gather and people would shout, here comes that lunatic who's looking for his son. But Paez Valero was undaunted. He had printed several thousand leaflets offering a reward to anyone who could give information leading to the Fairchild airplane. He was relentless. 
On Thursday afternoon, December 21st, Paez Valero prepared to catch a plane from Santiago to Montevideo to be home for Christmas. When he was about to enter his plane with a small poodle puppy illegally tucked under his coat, the airport loudspeaker boomed out. This is the international police. Detain Carlos Paez Valero. Detain Carlos Paez Valero. Valero's face fell. When he had reached the office of the airport police, he was faced not with handcuffs, but with a telephone. One of the government officials, uh, Colonel Morell, was on the other end of the line. Carlitos, is that you? asked the colonel. Yes, said Paez Valero, mildly irritated. And I appreciate you calling me and telling me goodbye, but the plane is waiting for me. I'll see you after Christmas when I continue my search. Okay, said Morell. I'm sorry to keep you. It's just that I thought that since you've been looking for those boys of yours for so long, you might like to come and see them. Paez Valero said nothing, and the puppy fell to the floor. When he and a traveling companion rushed back through the customs and through passport controls, they were shouting and weeping, They are alive! They are alive! What is this? One policeman asked another. Leave him alone, the other said. It's that lunatic who's looking for his boy who went down in that airplane a while back. Paez Valero was in San Fernando when the list of 16 survivors came in. The radio operator handed the list to him, but he would not accept it. He did not know yet if his own son, Carlitos, was one of the 16 and his apprehension proved too much. But one of the radio stations called, and the mayor of San Fernando insisted that Valero read the list. Slowly, he uncovered the first name on the list, Roberto Casanessa, he said, and repeated it. Pulling the paper down a quarter of an inch at a time, he recited three more names, and then he read Carlos Paez. Carlos Paez. Tears choked his voice, and for a moment he could not read no more. Later, the first of the rescue helicopters reached San Fernando. Before the motors even stopped, the doors slid open, and Paez Valero, the father, stood or saw the face of his son. With a cry, he surged forward, and his son leaped down from the copter and ran toward him. After him came another of the boys. He too ran toward Paez Valero, who went to the two boys and embraced them both at the same time. There were no words. For the father, the weeks of stubbornness had given him his reward in the breathing bodies he now held close to his own. He wept. And behind him, tears poured down from the faces of the 300 soldiers of the regiment also involved in the search for the missing plane. For the son, it was enough that in the solid arms of his father, he was already home. 
For 71 days, Paez Valero had refused to accept the unacceptable. He persisted, keeping interest alive until his son was found. The two boys, against all unbelievable odds, had walked out of the mountains and found help. There is another father who has refused to accept the unacceptable. And he has been searching along with his son for 6,000 years, trying to rescue his other sons and daughters from loss on planet Earth. But his problems are far more complex than those were of Paez Valero, because his children have come to fear him. They run away when he attempts to get close to them. And so he did the most unacceptable thing imaginable, he sent his only son to become a human being. He permitted him to die an incredible death for the lost ones. In this uh, way, many of his lost sons and daughters would be rescued. The son didn't run away from the unacceptable either. And when at the age of 12 it began to dawn on him, his, on his consciousness that death was his destiny, he didn't say, that's unacceptable, I'm going back. Instead, he accepted his role in God's plan. And when the local Nazareth kids and later the religious leaders of his country said, hey, Jesus, tell us who your dad is, and ran off laughing, he didn't retaliate. He shrank from their unacceptableness of their behavior, but he accepted them. He accepted the unacceptable and overcame evil with good because he was on a rescue mission. He was desperately trying to save his lost children from death on a ruined planet, even though they didn't understand, even though they would not understand. They called him a lunatic, but he was undaunted. They told him his power came from Satan, but still he kept searching, leaving behind him a stream of healed bodies and joyful people wherever he passed. His best friends slept when he sweat blood in Gethsemane. Then they ran like rabbits when the mob came to take him prisoner. People spat in his face. They beat him with a killer whip that cut his back to ribbons. They smashed a crown of thorns onto his head so that the blood ran down his forehead and face, but still he accepted the unacceptable. He was searching for his lost sons and daughters. Nothing else mattered. Neither whips nor spit could stop him. He collapsed under the cross, and almost no one would help him carry it. So he got up and collapsed again. But they only laughed at his weakness. And while he was hanging on the cross with our sins on him and his father's wrath against sin crushing out his life, they challenged him to come down. Come on down, they said. Then we'll believe in you. Come on. Surely you can do it. And it would have been so easy. He could have came down. But he resisted the irresistible. He endured the unendurable. He accepted the unacceptable. Because he did, 
he was able to heal the wounds of his lost sons and daughters. Peter said it well, by his wounds you have been healed. And then he died of a broken heart. Jesus overcame the unacceptable. Some of the things that you'll hear in this song that I'm going to have Gabby play here in a minute, he fed thousands of hungry people. The hunger was unacceptable. He healed blind people because that was unacceptable. He healed broken spirits. He raised the dead, all which was unacceptable. He overcame the most unacceptable thing when he suffered and died on the cross for our sins. And then he overcame death, rose from the grave, and promises to come again. This song that Gabby's about to play is from one of my favorite groups and is probably one of my favorite songs. Here's an incredible song and an incredible gentleman sang it. We shall see Jesus. We shall see Jesus just as he is. One sunny hillside, people working. To see him as thousands were fed, and he touched the blind eyes, healed broken spirits, amen. He moved with compassion Why even raised up the dead Once on a hillside Watching as Jesus, he was crucified. Oh, showed mercy to the one who And he died Once on a hillside People were gathered For Jesus had 
bless them. He rose to the heaven and he gave them this promise. Come back, back again. We shall see. acceptable situation in your life do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good that's what Jesus did and so can you if you will accept him into your life if you will keep him central in your thoughts it's the only way and then you will be filled with the fullness of God no matter how much evil comes your way The Apostle Paul said it well. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be fulfilled with all the fullness of God. This can be your experience as through Jesus you learn to cope with the unacceptable in your life, to his glory and your glorification when he returns. If you have an unacceptable situation in your life today, don't run away. Don't lash out and fight it. Don't get ulcers and high blood pressure over it. Don't let it defeat you. Instead, overcome it with good. Or perhaps I should say, overcome it with God.